listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Executive Director of the Sydney Museum and Archives, Alyssa Gerwing. Alyssa, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me and, and speak about the history of the Sydney Museum. Let's start with yourself. How did you get involved with, with museums in general and specifically with, with this one? Uh, I got my first job as a student in an archive about 10 years ago. That was because I took a fourth year digitization of history course, which really piqued my interest in the whole process. Uh, and from there, I bounced back to where I'm from, which is Prince George, BC. I was the assistant archivist at the Exploration Place in Prince George for a number of years. And then my husband accepted a job down on the island here. And I was looking around, and I ended up getting the job of assistant director here at Sydney Museum just over four years ago. And I've been here ever since, but last year I was made the executive director. And the history of, of the Sydney Museum, and, and I should say also archives component as well. Mm -hmm. Walk us through that history. Who, who were some of the, the early people involved, and, and what were the nature of the collections in those early days? So the Sydney Museum got started in 1971. The original collection was about 2,000 objects that came in from someone named May John. She was a bit of a collector herself and wanted to see these things protected and got together with these different volunteers that operated as the Marine Mammal and Historical Museum. And then in about 2000, they split them up. The society was formed by our past executive director, Peter Garnham, and the Sydney Museum was born. And we were here at the old post office building in the basement where we are to this day. But it's, it's been a real journey from start to finish. <laughs> The original collection was anything you could think of, from sat irons and typewriters to baskets and everything in between. Hmm. And, and looking at that collection, those early years up into the present, what are some strong stories that are represented through the holdings of the museum? A lot of family stories, for sure, because there's a lot of um, deep roots as far as families coming here and staying here, both within the European community and then of course in the indigenous community as well. One that pops into my mind, we have a gun that was given to a young man out of the Boer War by his friends on the peninsula and it has a nice plaque, it's a beautiful piece, and he took it to Alaska where he ended up unfortunately succumbing to the elements uh, during the middle of winter while he was traveling between two towns and they found him in the spring with the rifle in his lap and it was returned to his family here and we ended up with that in our collection as well and it's completely preserved and it's just one of the many different things you'll find going around the corners. We also have pieces from the SS Iroquois shipwreck that happened off the coast here. There's letters and archives from the war, where you really see the soldiers trying to put a brave face on what they're experiencing for family and friends back home. What are some stories that you hear amongst community members that you don't see at the moment a representative that you'd like to explore more with building the collection? I think that working more with our indigenous communities, there are four Wasanich nations on the peninsula immediately around us, 
and we'd like to build our relationship with them and tell their story through their own words. Not necessarily collecting their objects, but maybe giving them a platform to show those things because they are a thriving culture to this day. We had archaeological things on display that pinned it in prehistory and pre-contact, and that's just not the way that we need to develop in my opinion. Where we're sitting now used to be a very small Chinatown at the turn of the century and of course downturn of the 30s a lot of those communities moved into Victoria where there was more work and then when the government was looking for a place to build this building in 1936 they chose the former Chinatown because it was vacant hmm. and that's something you really don't see on the street, as it were. We do have a small display in the museum, but we really haven't been able to engage with that community about those stories and about the families that were here. Mm -hmm. Do you actively seek items from the community? It has been more passive in, in the past. You never know what was coming through the door, whether it be a wedding dress or a book. It, it depends on the day. We're trying to be a little bit more proactive where we're going out to these uh, community associations, such as the newspaper, or the Chamber of Commerce, or the Sydney B Business Improvement Area, or going into North Saanich with the Fire Hall and trying to actively collect these things because they have their own historical collections but they're not archivists, they're not museum folks. So it's trying to, to, to find these little pockets of information and collecting them before uh, they get relegated to the trash someday mm -hmm. or they're not um, properly cared for. But again, that's time and, and funding, and we are a museum of just three full-time staff, although we do have 45 volunteers that are very passionate. It's finding time to balance everything. Now, you, you'd mentioned that the, the museum had gone through a couple of iterations. What was the planning process for, uh, for those moves? Uh, for, the museum ended up coming into this building because at the time, the developer needed a variance because there's no parking for this building so the basement level was given to the town for the museum to operate in and we've bought other basement levels as we've grown to about 5,000 square feet now but we've really come up against the walls so as far as the renovation this summer we had the opportunity to close for a few months while everything was happening outside of the pandemic and we had some funds to be able to move things around to make things more accessible for our community, but also to give us a little bit more breathing room. We will hit the walls again, eventually. All museums do, but it buys us some time. It also creates a new space for our community to come and explore different stories in a very open environment as best as we can in a, in a basement anyway. During that process you, you'd undergone a deaccessioning process as well. Just tell us a little bit about that, that procedure yeah. and some of the thinking behind that. So if you can imagine over the course of even just a single person's life the amount of things that they collect in that time. Imagine it being an organization with many people like that. You can imagine the kind of trouble you get into when space is so limited. So what we ended up doing was we went through the collection space and we actually got a uh, citation from the fire department because we had literally grown up to the ceiling and that couldn't happen. So we were working with our fire department and we worked very closely with them to make sure that we met what they needed. And we pulled everything out of the collection. We got a, a grant to upgrade our shelving, make it so that it was strapped into the floor, there wasn't any shaking that was going to happen and we got different um, climate controls and measures and, and protections in place. And having everything out of the collection meant that we had to literally go object by object through what was there. 
the amount of things that weren't accessioned was explored. And then we went through, and at one point, someone found nails down on the um, waterfront. And they put them in a Ziploc bag and donated them, and those got accessioned at some point in the 80s. And they never made it out of the Ziploc bag. Now we have a Ziploc bag that's just full of rust. <laughs> so it really wasn't doing any good for anyone. So we found a number of objects that way. A lot of areas, uh, such as typewriters and sewing machines, where we just had so many of the same thing yeah. with no valuable provenance attached to them. Or sometimes the provenance had nothing to do with us. We had a saddle that we transferred to the Prince George Museum Exploration Place because it came from the Prince George Experimental Farm. Mm. You would never look for something like that in Sydney. So we've actively, over the last year, contacted many different organizations and, and transferred these things. For instance, we did two World War I era scrapbooks that went to the Surrey Heritage Centre in the UK. Mm. So it, it's really been all over the place that we've been able to track down the homes for some of these objects. And now uh, we're going to be looking into our indigenous collection because a lot of those objects came in the 70s. We've created a repatriation policy for that. We've created an inventory of everything and that's our next part of our collection that we're going to really start exploring. We want to invite elders in to tell us what these things are because I know enough to know that I don't know what we're dealing with and we're going to undergo that process as respectfully as we did as we went through and finding the nails and going through all of the ethics behind that. Mm -hmm. It's been a real process, many hours spent trying to research where these things come from and where they should go. Yeah. The first thing we did was rewrite the collections policy and then really expand it out and the deaccession policy was very important. It really outlined exactly what we had to do, even though it was so many different stages we had to go through, it was important that each one was followed so that we knew where we were and where we wanted to be and which objects fell within our mandate and which ones didn't. Right. How do you go about building your exhibitions? What are some ideas you have for the future, things that you're looking forward to putting together? Last year has really been about learning what we had in the collection. We do have a database, but again, a database isn't necessarily holding on to these things and going into the donor files, which we did also organize at the same time, and making connections between objects. So when doing the downstairs temporary gallery, we can bring in traveling exhibits from other organizations that will be of interest to our community because maybe um, not every exhibit that we put on has to be done in-house. That buys our staff time to really invest in these in-house displays that we want to do in the future, but also showing our community what else is out there. I'm really excited to see some of the other smaller museums in, in BC creating traveling exhibits that we can host here. That's not a big space, just over a thousand square feet, but it's big enough to really do some exciting work with. In-house, I would really like to see the hops display. This is one that we've had on the back burner for the last couple of years. We'd like to invite the, the local breweries that are popping up all over the peninsula to really talk about the history of hops. On There is a long one on the peninsula for sure. We've only just started scratching the surface of the potential of our archives. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of really interesting stories coming out of there. I'm really excited to, to do more indigenous displays to really show that our community, while North Sandwich and Sydney may be considered small and people can miss it in the blink of an eye when they drive from the ferry to Victoria, there really is a rich history here. And we've got some great local stories. And this new gallery space is just 
an excellent platform to start showing these off. What are some things that you're seeing locally that are changes within the community that you're, you have an eye to as a museum in terms of maybe capturing some of those stories for posterity? For sure. Within the archives we have actually a really nice oral history collection and that's something that we'd like to start adding to a little bit more proactively in the future. We don't have to do it on cassette tapes anymore. We could do it on video if we wanted. And going out into the community and collecting those stories, stories from community members at the community level, is so important before these people are, are no longer around to share their stories in their own words. We are undergoing a period of densification. You can see all the developments going around town, and these are replacing buildings that have been here for maybe a few years, maybe several decades, and being able to take a snapshot of the community in Sydney and North Saanich where we see the changes that are happening. We're in a period of change, both within the pandemic and with our local economy and, and having all these new people coming in. It's, it's great to see, there's more visitors every day, but we have to take a step back and see where we've come from as well. Good, bad, ugly, in between, and, and capturing those moments and those stories. Yeah. Have there been independent researchers that have made use of the collection in the past for their own projects, for publications? Sure. There wasn't a lot um, of reference questions when I started about four years ago, but it seems like every year we've increased 100, 200, 300 percent, especially with the pandemic going on, because everyone was sitting at home looking at the house across the street and wondering when it was built or who lived there, and I was getting those questions almost daily. It was quite funny, actually. And we, ha we do receive questions from people like developers, there's been people that want to start walking tours and things like that, but as far as things happening, the museum is actually quite a leader as far as creating these projects. We're, we want to redo the signage at the waterfront. We would like to have on the spot create digital walking tours so that you can tour around Sydney and, and look at how it was and how it is. We've done the newspaper project. We're trying to bring our archives to a digital realm, creating education programs. There's so much happening within the museum that we don't necessarily have to passively wait for a researcher to come to us with an idea. We, tr we try to go out into the community and make things happen as best we can. Our Family Day Festival is, is an example. That saw some of the highest foot traffic in Sydney that they see all year is all these families coming in. So we really try to be for the community in all ways. Adding to that, looking at the future of the Sydney Museum, what are some uh, hopes, aspirations, uh, goals, and, and maybe what are some obstacles that are in the way of achieving those aims? I'd like to see us bringing in more traveling exhibits from uh, both in our local area and further afield. We have to be able to fit them in an elevator and through a 36-inch door. So those are some limitations right there. Maybe in 10, 20 years, I'd like to see us with our own building or at least part of a building, a loading bay would be fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being able to, to do that or not relying on an elevator that's just outside of our, our building space as it were. Um, being able to do a lot more with our exhibit as far as bringing in community stories, having more community partners work with us, building more sponsorships and things like that into it, as well as getting the high school kids in either as interns or through programming to really get them engaged with their local history. There's so much rich history here, I think they'd be really excited to start working with that and then going in with the younger kids as well. They're a little bit easier because we've had an existing education program where kids come in 
way in the past, but updating the programming for the future and maybe making uh, digital versions. It can be done not just in a school setting, but the daycare setting or grandparents at home with their grandkids. Really bringing the museum to the people and not passively waiting for people to come to us. Alyssa, thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down and speak with me today about the, uh, the museum. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming, Spencer. It's yeah. been a pleasure. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Taiyu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.